0: Thank you for listening to the Parker, D.C. Sermon Podcast. The following message is a ministry of Parker Memorial the DeArmondville campus. We aim to be biblically faithful, Christ-exalting, and God-glorifying as we preach and teach the scriptures with boldness and application. We hope you will join us in person this Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for worship celebration. For more information about Parker, D.C., visit us at www.dclivelove.com. We hope you enjoy. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are a child aged three through five, you are dismissed to preschool worship. And for those who act like three and five year olds who are not, you have to stay with me, which is the rest of you, by the way. Uh, by the way, it was, uh, it was not pepperoni. It was, uh, what was the peppermint? I was thinking about peppermint earlier, not pepperoni. But uh, now that you're hungry for lunch, go get you some pizza afterwards. Okay, if you have a Bible, if you'll open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke chapter two, the Gospel of Luke chapter two. And while you're there, I want to tell you about my friend Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts was an English uh, hymn writer uh, in the 17th century, 18th century, 1719. He wrote a a song based on Psalm 98. And it wasn't supposed to be a Christmas song. It wasn't supposed to be. But as tradition held out, it began being used a lot during this time of the year. It's a song we sing every year. You know the words, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ. While field and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat, I'm sorry. Repeat the sounding joy. I love this verse. He rules the world with truth. And grace. It makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love, and wonders of His love, and wonders and wonders of His love. We'll stop there. Joy to the world. Psalm 98. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 2, we are stepping closer and closer in our Songs of Christmas series, Closer to the Birth of Jesus, which we actually find this morning and we'll find again next week and next week, just for the record, okay, because we're there. And although the, the, the choruses and the verses are repeating, the nuances of what we discovered this morning are incredible, credible, and they're powerful, and I hope that they will lead you to great shouts of joy, even as Baptists. I hope you get a little hitch in your giddy up this morning, even though it's raining outside, because of all people who should be joyful. It is you, church. Of all people this morning should have a little hitch in your giddy-up. It's you this morning. The incarnation is literally the coming of the deity of God in the form of humanity for the purpose of your redemption. That's the incarnation. This is what we're speaking of. The birth of Jesus this morning, and we're looking at Luke chapter 2, and we're looking at perhaps the most unique worship experience ever written in the Bible on earth. It happens on a hillside outside of Bethlehem to what we often refer to as these smelly, good-for-nothing shepherd guys. I'm not sure that's exactly the right picture, as I'll share in just a minute, but nonetheless... The most unique worship experience on earth recorded in the scriptures. So if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 2, we'll get started in verse 1. I'll run quickly through the first part because really our text is in the last part. We'll come back to the first part over the next week and a half, two weeks, okay? In those d- days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus is a title, by the way. It doesn't necessarily refer to just one person. Although Octavian, it was, his original name was Octavius Gaius, All right, became known as Octavian. He was the very first Roman emperor. Okay? And he was known as Caesar Augustus. He's documented historically, by the way, as he began to reign about 27 B.C. all the way up to about 14 A.D. Okay? So he is the first Roman emperor, and he is the man referenced here. And this Caesar Augustus that went out in the world should be registered. By the way, that's pretty common in time. With a couple different reasons why you'd have a census taken. Number one, uh, military reasons. Like you want to know who all able-bodied men were out to fight. And although Israel was exempt from that as Jews, they would still want to know who lives in Israel. But also for taxes, right? Because there's only a couple of sure things that happen in this world. Death and taxes, right? And every, every government wants their tax dollars, right? And so a census would help them collect and understand the revenue that would come into the Roman Empire from all corners of the Roman Empire. Verse 2, this was the first registration. Well, wow, here's another character. Cyrenius, or you have a Q there, Cyrenius, was governor of Syria. Now, we do know, this is a little interesting historical Cyrenius this really wasn't governor of this Palestine area until after the birth of Jesus, around roughly 6 to 9 AD. But this word governor is loosely used. This is not uncommon in history. Uh, although he wasn't the top governor, he was still very much a political figure and still referenced then as a, a governor or a uh, po- politician. We'll just say that. He was a politician. This helps us kind of frame in the narrative a little bit. Verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. One commentary said this. The census serves to place the birth of Jesus in the context of world history. And to show us, this is great, that the fiat or the, the, the decree of an earthly ruler can be utilized in the will of God to bring his more important purposes to fruition. You know, God can take even bad rulers and even secular kings and use it to accomplish his purposes, amen, right? By the way, the, the Christian belief is not just biblical, it's historical, all right? I love that when the Bible gives us facts, all right? I'm a fat kind of guy, I like history. If you don't like history, you probably had a bad history teacher. I like history, and I think it's good when the Bible corresponds with history. We have points and references historically that Luke gives us. By the way, Luke is a doctor. He writes very OCD-like. How many of you would say that you're OCD or CDO? right? I'm CDO because the letters go CDO, not OCD. That's backwards, okay? Anyway, Luke is like that. He's very detail-oriented, he would give us these facts to help us authenticate the moment, this birth of this child. Verse 4, and Joseph, and we've already been introduced to Joseph before uh, in other narratives, but Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, okay? So he's living in Nazareth, but he's not from Nazareth, okay? Like, I live in Alabama, but I ain't from Alabama. I'm from Oklahoma, good, bad, or ugly, right? So if I was going to go back for a census, I'd have to travel 800 miles back to my hometown in Oklahoma. So he would do the same. To Judea, to the city of David. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, this is really important. know anything about the Old Testament, uh, there is this prophecy about the coming Messiah that would come through the, the house and the lineage of David. He would be called as the branch of David, this Messiah, So even as we read this, if we only had Luke chapter 2, and we're reading this text, we're like, huh, my ears should be perking up. Okay? This is a family from the Davidic line on both the mother and the father's side. Because he was the house and the lineage of David. Verse 5. To be registered with Mary... His betrothed, now they were not officially married, but they were betrothed a little different than the way we do things. Uh, when, you, when you get engaged back then, you're, in the eyes of all of the law, you are married. You just don't have the benefits, wink, wink, of marriage yet. Amen? Right? So, he was married in the eyes of the law, so she had to go with Joseph to his betrothed who was with child. Now, this is a significant place, Bethlehem, that we're about to find. Bethlehem is referenced in Micah chapter five, verse two, would be the birthplace of our Messiah. So, if you want to write down Micah five two, but you of Bethlehem and who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for one who is to be ruler in Israel. Who's coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. And so, for 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 Joseph and Mary to go back to Bethlehem, his hometown, where his family comes from. And it to be Bethlehem is incredibly significant. Bethlehem means, by the way, house of bread. House of bread. How many of you like bread? Can I get a uh uh-huh, right? Amen. I like some bread. Just bring on the bread. Bring on the crescent rolls. Can I get a witness? Amen, right? Mm, right. Jesus says of himself in John chapter six, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the bread of life comes from the town of the house of bread, isn't that cool? Verse, verse 6, and while they were there, we, we've read this millions of times if you grew up around the church or the, or the narrative of the birth. While they were there, the time came forth for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Really important, firstborn son. Some traditions said that Mary had children before, but she didn't because the Bible clearly says she was a virgin. She was betrothed, not completely married. This, this was an immaculate conception. This was God in his by his spirit, right? And so the firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Now, I'm going to come back to some of this in a minute, okay? But. I want to point out here, swaddling clothes. How many you ever had kids and, and you had what well, they, they had the wraps that would wrap up a child? Y'all with me, right? And, and it would help the child. If we had a bunch of new babies in our church, right? And you wrap that child up snug as a bug in a rug, right? And you keep them calm and comfortable and feels collected, right? All right, so you kind of get that imagery, all right? But there's more to the story. Over the last five or ten years, Kelly, we've talked about this. Kelly, we've talked about the to other people, too, because if you talk to Kelly this time of the year, it's about this story. It's great, okay? And you should listen because there's more historical evidence. I'm picking on you. Sorry, buddy. Now, there's more historical evidence. Than the fact these swaddling clothes weren't just random pieces of cloth. They were actually used for something even more significant. Uh, on the hillside outside of Bethlehem, we're about to encounter the shepherds. Probably not just average-day shepherds. Probably shepherds from the priestly order. I'll tell you more in a minute. And they would use these type of swaddling clothes. And maybe even Mary got them from Zacharias, who was a priest, and Elizabeth. Maybe as she visited for three, six months there prior to, she, she got them as a gift, a, a, a baby gift. And she wrapped this child in these, these little clothes that were meant to, listen carefully, wrap a newborn lamb that was for the purpose of a sacrifice. How about that? Isn't it interesting that, that the clothes that Jesus was wrapped in maybe even had a suggestion that Jesus would be the atoning lamb paying the, pi- the price for our sin. So it says that she, she swaddled him in clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I, now y- y'all know that I like, I like the quaint, nice, nostalgic nativity set, right? Y'all with me, right? But I, I'm going to blow it up a little bit today, okay? Is that okay with you guys? First and foremost, I just need to remind you, the wise guys were not there Christmas night, okay? Okay, Amen? They weren't there. They're cute in the nativity, but they they weren't there. It was probably a couple years before they got there. They had to travel a long way. And as somebody said earlier, they didn't have the first place first pl- flight ticket. They wouldn't sit in the first t- rows. They were they, they they had to take the slow camels. Okay, over. All right. So they probably weren't there. All right. N- number two, it probably wasn't this wooden structure that we think nativity was. In fact, it may have very very well been a rock structure with stalls in the middle of it that was used for the birth of these sacrificial lambs on a hillside outside of Bethlehem. Okay? So you should tear down the wood structure. All right? Think about a rock structure. Think about Jesus being in a stall where where lambs were kept that were supposed to be Passover lambs to pay the price for sin. It's It's amazing that even from the beginning, Jesus' death loomed large on the horizon. Amen. Verse eight. Here's here's the fun stuff. Y'all with me say uh huh. All right. And the same region there were shepherds. Shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Interesting enough, these, these shepherds, again, on a hillside next to Bethlehem. If you know anything about geography of Israel, Bethlehem is a suburb of Jerusalem. And on the same side as the temple itself. How about that? And on that hillside, these lambs were being raised, being born, protected by being wrapped and swaddling clothes. So they would not harm themselves because as a sacrifice, they were to be pure and unblemished. Right? These shepherds were likely... Priestly shepherds. In verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. The KJV says they were sore afraid, right? If you got a KJV, you're like, sore afraid. What is that? Like, if you got so scared, your, 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 your muscles and your joints, like that, and they clenched up. Maybe that's what it was. I don't, I don't know. Sore afraid. But man, they were scared, all right? In the words of a, so they're scared. Amen? They're scared so afraid. Number 1 in your worship God. I hope you have a worship God this morning if you're listening from home, grab a piece of paper and a Bible, but number 1 I want you to write down the glory of God provides the backdrop and the response to the incarnation. The glory of God is kind of this unique thing. Like we we talk about in a worship service, we give God glory. There's two types of the glory of God. There's the Shekinah glory of God, that which exists around God no matter what. It's his glory. It's his essence. It's he is the sovereign God, all creator. It is his glory. He is sovereign. Okay. That's the glory of God. It's around him no matter what. And then there's the glory that we give to him. All right. So sit in a setting of this is the glory of God, the essence of God, the power of God, the atmosphere of God. And then as a result of that, the shepherds give glory back to God. So the glory of God provides the backdrop, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Speaking of the glory of God, John 1.14 says, in John's Christmas narrative, you didn't know John had one, but John has one. It's a little different, it's a little more theological, but he says this, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his what? Oh, that was bad. His what? His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. And I love this description. Full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And as a result of that, our lives should be lived for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Of God. Romans 11 verse 36 says this: for from him and through him and to him, him being Jesus, are all things. To him be glory forever. The glory of God's a pretty significant concept. It was there at the announcement of Jesus. By the way, this is the very first birth announcement. Have you ever Googled birth announcements these days? There's all different ways to announce a child, right? Especially the gender of a child, right? I mean, there's balloons popping, and there's cannons going off, and there's just all kinds of different ways. Is it pink or is it blue? Like, what do we, we got? Think about how simple it was in Jesus' day. Well, she's expecting. And in this case, angel says, yep, he is. And he's the Messiah. I kind of long for simpler days. Now, I don't know if you guys like birth announcements, especially like gender reveals and stuff. And if you do, I'm not picking on you, but maybe we're going a little above and beyond maybe. Maybe we stretching it a little, little bit. Number two, the gospel is inextricably linked to the condition of joy. It's important. To the condition of joy, it is not found outside of Christ. And the angel said, verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great what. By the way, good news should kind of, oh, man, what? I've heard that before. Good news. In the New Testament, is the word evangelion, okay? It's a Greek word, meaning good news. It's associated with the word gospel. The very first gospel proclamation here. From the angels to the shepherds, I bring you the gospel. And the gospel is good news, amen? That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? The gospel is inextricably linked to the condition of joy. Inextricably for some of you like, he used a big word, right? Synonyms work. Synonym search on Google. Hey, amen. It means attached. You cannot separate. It's not found outside of Christ. Romans 14 verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy. And here's a connection. Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtain the outcome of your faith and salvation of your souls. John 16, verse 22. Y'all need to wake up. Y'all ain't joyful enough yet, okay? Do we need to sing some more? Dance? No, no no, dance, Okay. John 16, we're bad. We don't, we don't, we don't, we interpret it. Movement is what that is, right? John 16, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And then Jesus says this to the disciples so that no one will take your what? Your joy from you. Uh-oh. How I mean, sometimes on, on, on Sunday mornings, I come in here and I'm not picking on you, but some of you are like, I would say joy is not necessarily the word I would describe you as, okay? Let's just say that. Grumpy, tired, um, sometimes complacent, distracted. (laughs) He said that no one will take your joy from you. S.D. Gordon said this, joy is distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. Joy has its springs deep down inside, and that spring never runs dry. No matter what happens, only Jesus gives that joy, right? Now, we've, I've, I've made the distinction before. Joy and happiness is not the same thing. Happiness is a result of happenings, right? Like your team wins. Woo, I'm happy. Woo. Right? Your team loses. But humbug, right? You know, I'm sorry, I can't say that. But humbug, right? You know, joy is something that's deeper than that. Joy is a commitment that's based upon a conviction of your hope in Jesus Christ, right? That means the world could be falling down around you and there be some sense of joy or contentment inside of you. That this too shall pass and something else is greater on the other side. One theologian said this, joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. Billy Sunday, great revivalist preacher said this, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. That's a pretty good description. This morning you're struggling with joy. There's a leak somewhere. And probably heavily impacted by sin. Heavily impacted by stress. Heavily impacted by anxiety. But plug the leak, right? Because of all people, we should be joyful people. Philippians 4.4 4 commands us, Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. No, no. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. No, no, no. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, in case you miss it the first time, Paul echoes and says, rejoice. Uh-oh, preachers hollering today. Uh-oh. Another one of the great commentary said this. Life is not about the pursuit of happiness. It's about joy in the pursuit of God. <laughs> happiness is fleeting. And by the way, happiness is deceiving. It's based upon emotions, and it's based upon flesh. God never called us to be happy. He called us to be holy. He called us to be joyful in the midst of our pursuit of holiness. Amen? Not about the pursuit of happiness. Sorry, our forefathers in our country got that wrong. Psalms chapter 30, verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes with the morning. Nehemiah would tell the Israelites, he said, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Christian, I would say the same thing of you. The joy of the Lord should be your strength that carries you through the hard stuff. Number three, joy is an inner con- contentment that is anchored in the hope of Christ, it is not about emotion. It is not about things on the outside, but a conviction on the inside. It's an inner contentment that is anchored in your hope for Christ. Romans 15, verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Hmm. Psalm 16, says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. John chapter 15 verse 11 says, These things I've spoken to you that, you, may, that you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be half empty, full. Sam Storm says, Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering, it is the presence of God. Joy is about an internal commitment based on a conviction of your hope in Jesus. Good news of great joy. Joy. It will be for all people that today is born the city of David, a Christ who is Savior, Christ the Lord. That's some good news, church. We got a lot of bad news today. You know that, right? Like, How many of you like are, are religiously watch the news every, every day? All right? I would caution you to be careful. Don't watch too much news because 99% of the news is bad, right? You need to balance that with the good news. The gospel, because it helps you rise above the bad news. I find that when I, I'm listening too much to outside circumstances, I am less joyful. But when I'm looking into the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can't help but speak of what I've seen and I've tasted, what I've tasted and seen. I'm joyful as a result. Luke 2, verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. These shepherds, I, this is one of those really obsolete things. Like when you've read this text a million times, like a sign, I don't understand the sign. It is perhaps, these shepherds are priestly shepherds, and they would know very well a place, it's referenced in Micah chapter 4, as Migdal Eater or the Tower of the Flock. It actually goes back to Genesis, early in Genesis where Rachel dies, and they bury Rachel in a field referenced next to the Tower of the Flock, Migdal eater. okay? It's this field that was for the purpose ultimately of raising Passover or sacrificial lambs, okay? A sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Wait, 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 wait. We know we, hey, can you get, imagine the shepherd meeting? Hey, that's, we know that place. We were there the other day when we were, we were wrapping them babies, lambs up and stuff. And that's where we kept, we know that place. I know exactly where we're talking about. And lying in a manger. Again, let me blow up your little nativity real quick. Uh, we often think the manger is his food trough, but it may not have been may not have been. The word "phantē" in the Greek could mean a stable or a food trough. It may have been a rock structure where there are stables inside of that Mary is holding her sweet baby and is where the lambs that were supposed to be sacrificed to the Lord would have been raised and born. It's possible that this little nativity, although cute, Preacher, don't write me any hate mail, okay? Like I had to blow up your little nativity back home. Keep it out. It's so precious. And it reminds us of the birth's purpose, but not necessarily all the details. Amen? And if you want to, just put the wise guys a few feet further out, okay? Makes sense. Let's go on. Number four. Christ's birth forecast his atoning death. So all the details shepherds get on this hillside, this night probably are indicators. <laughs> it's interesting enough, the shepherds may have been the first one to know, really, of the sacrificial lamb, the sacrificial lamb, in the context, really, of his birth. Make no, no, no mistake that the purpose of Jesus' birth was his death. The purpose of Jesus' birth was his death. Matthew 20, Jesus says, even as the Son of Man, referring to himself, Came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John the Baptist early on would know this. John the Baptist, who was in the womb of Elizabeth, let when hearing you know, Mary speak, John the Baptist knew who Jesus was on some level, because in John the Baptist, or John chapter 1, verse 29, John says this behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist recognized it. Paul, Galatians chapter 4, I've referenced this every sermon the last two weeks. I just can't help talk about Christophe, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His son born of woman, born under the law, the law of sin and death, to redeem those who under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you see that? To redeem those. There is no redemption without the shedding of blood. Jesus came, was born, and for the purposes of dying. 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. Instead of Jesus, that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Is it possible? Maybe it's conjecture. I don't know. But there's a pretty good opportunity to see the sacrificial death of Christ. Even on his night of birth. Which reminds us, this is not just any child. This is the savior of the world. One article I read. Said this, though the shepherds probably weren't fully aware of what was happening, the angel was hand delivering them a message telling them the time for animal sacrifice was nearly over. And they were the first. These shepherds were probably the first to know. <laughs> they were about to be out of job, really, ultimately, because the lamb had come. And suddenly, verse 13. Here is this majestic worship service. By the way, if we ever have a church service like this in here, we're going to be accused of being Pentecostal and charismatic. Okay, all right? But it's okay, Bab. just take a deep breath. Let's read this together. And suddenly, there's with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Sometimes we read this and we say, glory to God in the highest. And earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. I don't think they said that. I think they said, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. This is joyful news. This is exciting news, Baptist. Put a smile on your faith, Christian. This is the good stuff. By the way, heaven, if you don't like worship down here, you ain't gonna like it up in heaven. Because worship in heaven is gonna be on another level. We got a picture of this this night. Suddenly there's with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And what do those angels do? You know what angels are created for? To praise God. To declare his glory. And they was not going to be silent on this silent night. Number five, heaven. Was animated at the birth of the Savior. MacArthur said it this way All heaven broke loose with rejoicing at the birth of the Son of God. Why wouldn't they? Think about this. For, for thousands of years, since the sin, original sin of man, there had been a plan, but it had been sitting in neutral. This was not plan B. This was always plan A. And I think the angels had a little bit of inclination of it. They knew who Jesus was, the son of God. He was there with them. He knew that the purpose of Jesus was to come to earth one day. And they were all sitting in great expectation of this one day when, when the father would say, son, it's time to go. You don't think for a moment they're going to be silent on this night. Oh, no. This is, this is the moment they were created for. The shout of the redemptive work of God through Christ. They're not going to be quiet this night. All of heaven broke loose. Revelations 4. We, we get an indication later on. Revelation 4 and 5. Of what happens in heaven. And the purposes of the angels. That we got a glimpse into. On that hillside. Revelation 4:11 the angels and the, and the and the elders and the and the creatures say worthy are you our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created you know what the book of revelation is about it's about worship you know that right most people look at the book of revelation it's like judgment 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 but everywhere in the middle of all the judgment 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 is worship 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 in heaven you see it Revelation chapter five, verse 11, 12. John says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so the worship that took place in heaven broke through the sky and we saw it on earth that night. I can't wait to heaven. I don't know about you guys. There's sometimes in a worship service, I'll chase one rep, there's sometimes in a worship service, there's the desire to hoop and holler and to shout for joy. And I'm afraid you'll fire me. That preacher, he's he not quite all the way Baptist. <laughs> right? Listen, I'm telling you, in heaven, there'll be no worry about what you think. And you won't worry about the person next to you either. You will be so enamored by Christ and the love of the Father, that you will worship right there next to the angels. Amen. And I figured this, if, we, if we're going to do it there, we might as well get started here, just 10 cents. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem. I've I, I often preached this text and I thought, you know what? Uh, the shepherds could have sat down and said, you know what? Let's have a first shepherd business meeting we got we got to weigh the pros and cons now if we go to bethlehem that means uh your shepherd's responsibility is to what to watch over the does that mean we're bringing all the sheep with us or we're leaving a livelihood and we're going we're gonna have to think through this we need to have a an exit plan a strategy how to do this oh. from all indication let us go over to bethlehem that seems to be pretty urgent why wouldn't it be You got the greatest message. You just heard the good news of great joy and you're going to do nothing about it? I don't think so. And see this thing that had happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they, verse 16, they went with haste. I don't know which shepherd was fastest, but I felt like they were were in a, in a, a sprint. I felt like they had put on their track shoes and they were running and they knew where to run. Wink, wink. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Number six. Almost there. Hang in there. A gospel proclamation. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Demands a gospel examination. It's really important. What you do with the gospel when you hear it is up to you. But you've got to do something with it. To choose not to choose is to make a choice. When you hear the gospel, do you submit yourself under the lordship and leadership of Christ in repentance? Or do you reject it altogether? A gospel proclamation demands a gospel examination that you look into. I think of Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, one of my favorite stories. Uh, Paul is, is visiting around, as a great missionary and he's sharing the gospel and he's getting in lots of trouble. I can, I can reflect that. He gets in lots of trouble and he's run out of places and there's some people like Thessalonica they didn't believe, the Jews did not believe and so he goes to a place called Berea. You ever heard of Berea before? And Berea, They actually model the right response to the gospel. I'm going to read this real quickly. Acts 17, verse 10 following. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogues, just like they had done countless times before. Now, these, these Jews were more noble than those in the previous setting in Thessalonica. And they received the word with all eagerness. Okay? Listen carefully. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And as a result, many of them therefore believed. That's the appropriate response to the gospel. By the way, that's the appropriate response to the preaching and teaching of God's word. Open your Bible, Christian. Make sure it's legitimate. Make sure it's right. And then believe it. Amen? Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned. Back to that hillside. Glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen, as had been told. Number seven, number last. Worship is the outcome of a life that's been personally transformed by Jesus. Do you think those shepherds would have left that place with no change? No. Not a chance. They had just encountered the God of all creation the Messiah, the Savior of the world, personally. And their heart and their life was changed as a result of that. Worship is the reflection of a changed heart. Is it possible that sometimes our lack of worship is a reflection of a hardened heart or a heart that's not fully engaged in Christ? Because when we encounter Christ, You know what the natural response is? Worship. Now, I'm using worship in this term, not just in the sense of of singing, but in the sense of obedience. To worship means you obey, you live for. So to worship in this sense is they would live out the purposes of God for their life because their life has been transformed by the gospel. Of Jesus Christ, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Romans 12, 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies to a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or reasonable act of worship. Hebrews 12 says, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Colossians 3 tells us that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and mon- teaching one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The point is this you cannot encounter Christ and not want to worship. Hmm. Verse 21. And then I'm done. Because this sets us up for, baby, all I want for Christmas is you. By the way, that's next week. Our song is, baby, all I want for Christmas. You. I'm sorry, my bad. Luke 2, verse 21. Some of you are like, whoa, preacher. Woo. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, we won't talk about that, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And then this Jesus is going to interact with some people who have been long anticipated. The arrival of the Son of God. Let's pray together. God, make us joyful people. In the midst of good, bad, and ugly, Lord, help us to be joyful, Lord, because of this great news. Good news of great joy. Thank you, Lord, for announcing it on the hillside outside of Bethlehem, Lord, to these shepherds who, Lord, understood in some regard this child was special. Savior of the world in some, some way, some form or fashion who would go and see this child and leave changed. What I pray the gospel does the same thing to us. If there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, would help them to repent of their sin where they have failed you, God. Place their full weight of their trust in Jesus for their forgiveness and their salvation. to Save their heart, save their life, give them hope through Christ. Lord, if there's anybody here who needs to lock arms with our church officially by joining our church, Father, I pray that you would move them to do that. What if there's anybody here who needs to recommit their life, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would lead them to make that decision. Or lead us to repentance, all of us to repentance. And lead us to Christmas and Christian joy today. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we pray that in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you.